Good evening, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Chenergy Coffee Company podcast. The only podcast of a coffee company where we never talk about coffee. And tonight we're going to change this a bit, because tonight I'm going to talk about coffee a bit. Coffee and economics, and how we can use one to talk about the other. So, when I started drinking coffee, I was in my early teens... In Italy, that's pretty normal, although maybe it's not exactly healthy. And the coffee for me was always essentially two things. The little ristretto espresso that we take in the bars in Italy, or the mocha, the Bialetti machine that was constantly on the stove in my mom's place when I was growing up. And even today... <clears throat> My favorite way of drinking coffee, not my favorite, but the one that I use every day, the one with which I start the morning, is the humble Italian mocha. So I started to get interested in coffee when I started to travel abroad, and especially that happened uh, around the early 2010, so when I had the chance to start to travel to Central America and to Africa and Vietnam, and a few other places. And I had to challenge a bit my view of what coffee is. Why? Because I discovered that there are many ways of drinking coffee, that coffee has an history, and coffee was not invented in Italy, contrary to what we believe in my country. And there are uh, quite many ways to prepare, to roast, to drink coffee. Coffee was born as the wine of Islam, because essentially in Yemen and in a few other countries, it was one of the few alkaloids that Islam did not prohibit, because as most people know, uh, Islam does not allow for consumption of alcoholic drink. And uh, coffee itself was actually discovered in Ethiopia. And the legend goes that it was discovered by goat herders that noticed that the goats that were eating the coffee cherries, were becoming hyperactive, essentially. And the coffee in Ethiopia is actually a very social experience. It's something completely different from what we used to drink here, which is something that we put in a styrofoam cup and we just uh, drink on our way to work or something that we brew at home. But it's very much an individual experience. Now, in Ethiopia, <coughs> coffee is roasted usually in a pen. It takes quite a few hours, and it's really a ceremony, a social ceremony under which people talk and gather and exchange ideas. And that's probably, at least from a romantic standpoint, my favorite story about coffee itself. I started to love coffee even especially more when I was uh, traveling to Central America, Guatemala, Nicaragua, Honduras, because uh, coffee is a single culture and it has, uh, as all kind of monoculture in this kind of region, it has uh, some uh, unfortunate side effects in, the, in environmental terms. But also coffee <coughs> was a, a cash crop that allowed these people to live, that allowed a lot of people to feed their families. And there is a certain love to the tending of the trees, of the coffee plants. Also because, except in a 
Brazil maybe where uh, there is a heavy industrialization and a very heavy automation going on because coffee is uh, uh, farmed in the plains. Most of the good coffee is farmed in the hills or in the mountains where essentially automation is really not possible. So <coughs> it's something that is done by hand. And here the problem is probably that if um, the GDP keeps on growing, as I hope for these people, uh, there is a shortage of workers. That's also a problem. <clears throat> anyway, that's not the focus of this episode. The focus of this episode is more about discovering new way of doing things. And now that applies to economics. I was reading an article in The Economist this uh, this week, uh, this weekend, and uh, it talked about essentially the economic problem that my country, Italy, is facing by the fact that it's not innovating, it's getting old. But it keeps on doing things the same old way. Especially it's true, for example, in finance. <clears throat> Italian companies tend always to be undercapitalized. The management and the owners tend to be white. Okay, that's kind of obvious because we are a white country, we don't have much immigration but they're invariably white males in their 70s. And the country itself is essentially selling its silverware to keep more or less afloat. And that's a very bad recipe for a long-term success of a country. I mean, uh, under many indicators, the country has entered a kind of a terminal decline. Um, in Italy... People still think that coffee was invented in Italy and the only way to drink coffee is our way to drink coffee. And whereas Italian coffee is actually very good, because it's still very good, it's probably one of the best, it's always variation of the same old recipe. Espresso, espresso with milk and all its variation, cappuccino, latte macchiato, and all these kind of products of way of brewing coffee that have been the same for as long as I remember. And uh, if I look, for example, about my the company that I love to wait, Starbucks, Starbucks capitalized on the Italian way of doing coffee to produce something quite new and extremely successful. Why didn't we think about it? That's a good question. Why didn't we think about it? Because we were blinded. We were blinded by the same old way to do things. And that's the, <clears throat> the core of the story, in a way, um, doing things the same way is something that we cannot afford anymore. We cannot afford it in Italy, but I think we can extend this uh, way of reasoning to Europe itself. Europe is still very much, um, still very much believes we are still the center of the world, at least from my generation and upwards. I mean, newer generation are actually much more open-minded, but the general tendency in politics and in, uh, in economic management is uh, keep on doing the same and hope to get different results. And especially with the COVID, this has, shows, has shown some really structural issues with our way of doing things. Now, COVID has been, uh, in a way, a great uh, amplifier of structural problems that were there already for a, for a continent that is already in demographic decline. And that's an issue because I don't understand why no one talks about the fact that 
one of the reasons why <coughs> our economy don't grow anymore it's because uh, our demography is uh, dire our demographic situation is dire and before uh, someone that might listen to me and might be on this kind of school of thought that why do we need to go to keep growing well because for example if we are to pay the pensions and provide for the social security and for the healthcare of our aging population we need the economy to grow we need to produce growth we need to uh, if not enlarging the cake in absolute term at least making sure that the cake shrinks slower than the shrinkage in the population in the working age population because at the end of the day the fact that uh, the gdp of europe uh, is uh, declining as a share of the world gdp considering that also our share of population is declining is not bad per se what matters at the end of the day is the gdp per person and even better the gdp per person approaches parity however <coughs> when uh, we take into account also the fact that actually in many parts of Europe, not everywhere, but in many parts of Europe, the cake is shrinking faster than the population is shrinking. That means essentially an impoverishment of the European population, which leads to all kinds of other issues. Look at the resurgent nationalism. Look at the fear of uh, immigrants of the fear of uh, new things and uh, as in italy <coughs> people still believe that there is only one way to do coffee in many parts of europe people still believe that there's only one way to keep on doing things which is madness uh, why this happens i mean in a way it's easy to understand why people don't want to change the way to do things i mean europe is still uh, one of the richest areas of the world we enjoy freedom, we enjoy well-being, we enjoy wealth. But that cannot be taken for granted. And especially <coughs> freedom doesn't work if the underlike under how do you say that in English? The underlining economic structure is not flourishing if the if the economy activity dries out it's very difficult to keep on maintaining an expensive liberal democracy and for all its defects liberal democracy is still one of the reasons why european countries tend to be as prosperous and as free as they are there is also water and climate because that's something it's another thing that people don't realize <coughs> how much the fact that in western europe we have readily available water means to the wealth because water means waterways so ways to move things around but it especially means rich agriculture <coughs> and it means a good climate so there is all these things that people take for granted that especially in in this is historical moment uh, we shouldn't we really shouldn't liberal democracy is probably also one of the reasons why the response to the global pandemic has been so uh, patchy and so ineffective i mean this is not only a problem of uh, italy it's not only a problem of uh, uh, germany <coughs> in the entire 
continent this pandemic is ravaging and it seems like no government knows exactly what to do or has the ability to impose its will on its citizens because of course in a democratic government a lot of different interests need to be weighted and taken into account. However, in my view, there is also another more subtle cultural issue, which is <coughs> the fact that uh, we are not the best. We shouldn't believe that we are the best. We should actually face the music and realize that other areas of the world can be as innovative, can be as effective. Maybe their governance is not what we would love to have. <clears throat> South Korea is a good example. South Korea was probably the most successful big country because, of course, like uh, New Zealand was successful in uh, fighting the pandemic, but New Zealand is an island, it's far. South Korea is a big country it's in the region of population where that we have in uh, the major European countries. It's an advanced country, it's industrialized, yet they managed to prepare and to manage their pandemic response much better than us. <clears throat> this is cultural because South Korea is a lot more authoritarian in its DNA than most European countries, at least in its current form. I mean, we shouldn't forget that at the time of the War of Korea, which is not 300 years ago, South Korea was a dictatorship and a very uh, bloody and authoritarian military dictatorship. And it has been a military dictatorship for many decades afterwards. However, there has to be a different way between <coughs> um, the extreme ways of China or uh, the fairly strong ways of South Korea and uh, inability to take ownership and take a decision that has plugged some of the European governments. In a way, it's a problem of legitimacy. It seems like democratic institutions are losing their legitimacy to their citizens. <coughs> and why is this happening? Well, part is due to this long-term decline a bit of some of the European countries. I mean, France, Italy are probably the countries that look worse right now, Italy by far. However, even in Germany, I start to see some signs of uh, democratic fatigue. And that's kind of scary considering the past of Germany. Or <coughs> even worse, if you look at the countries in Eastern Europe, it's pretty clear that democracy is not on the rise. But in Poland and in Hungary, uh, the governments... Uh, are moving very fast toward uh, maybe not fascism because fascism is a, a tired term and it's not a term that I like but they're moved towards a, a very much less democratic idea of how we should manage our societies <coughs> and that's um, that's concerning because in the long term uh, once uh, democratic institutions are uh, devoid of their legitimacy, it just takes uh, one event to bury them. I mean, it was not Hitler that killed the Republic of Weimar. The Republic of Weimar was already dead, and it 
had the serious issues of legitimacy, Hitler just buried it. I don't expect an Hitler to come into Europe for many reasons, <clears throat> one of which is actually exactly this democratic decline that we have. I mean, we lack the troops to put together a seriously fascist regime, but fascism and authoritarianism can take different ways. <clears throat> and it's not difficult to see in the uncertainty that is that has been plaguing our times people trying to find the refuge and find comfort in the strong men in the idea of uh, closing the borders <coughs> and just look inwards which is dangerous because in a world that is innovating as fast as it is now looking inwards means closing the doors not only to capital and to goods but also closing to ideas and at the end of the day uh, the Covid has been a bit of a fiasco but it's also true that if we manage to uh, answer to a pandemic so fast it's also because the ideas more than goods travel as fast as they have ever been uh, the speed at which information spreads in the scientific communities is simply amazing even to someone who's bloody accountant like myself I mean I'm just awed by the ability of uh, research institution to cooperate so effective and so fast we're talking about having a vaccine in less than a year now if this vaccine is going to work that's a different story <clears throat> however it's there companies are talking research institutions are talking and that's where probably even though there is a, a, a never-raising voice against globalization. The globalization of ideas is actually <coughs> the only way to solve complex issues. So globalization of ideas means also becoming a bit more humble and going back to understand what other cultures and other places can actually teach us. In this case is an economic pandemic, but for example, uh, in Europe uh, we have lost uh, much, I mean, in many places, I mean, of course, again, places are different. I'm looking at the places that I know, which are uh, Switzerland, Italy, Finland, Germany. We have lost the ability to share ideas. <coughs> For example, importing the Ethiopian way to do coffee and uh, considering it as a celebration rather than something that it would just need to consume in solitude to uh, wake up uh, could be an idea to enjoy something different and to restart to discuss ideas. But to discuss ideas we also need to rediscover the humbleness of knowing that sometimes we can be wrong. That there is only one way. There is not only one way of doing things, <coughs> and that uh, uh, different times and different uh, <coughs> different historical period require different responses. So, if I can use again coffee as a comfortable metaphor, I love to drink my strong seventy-five percent arabica, twenty-five percent robusta espresso from my mocha in the morning to get up 
But I also like to enjoy a French press brewed light roast, very low caffeine level, bourbon coffee, uh, midway in the afternoon. They're both coffees. Most people in Italy would never consider what I drink in the afternoon as coffee, but it is. It's not the way that most coffee is drunk. It's not the way that most coffee, most people associate to coffee, but it's coffee nonetheless. It still clarifies my mind. It gives me a nice, smooth taste. And I'm able to drink it because I left my prejudice of Italian coffee back home. <clears throat> and even in the same way of brewing coffee, I can go for uh, a single origin Ugandan uh, roast and enjoy this taste that is almost chocolate. Or I can go for uh, a nice blend of uh, Brazil, Guatemala and uh, Colombia. 70, 20, 10%. That's my advice. <coughs> Which gives me a little bit more of a kick of caffeine, but gives me also the ability to sour it on a slower way and a little bit lower temperature, maybe. The same way that coffee can be drunk in many ways once we get over our prejudice. Economy should probably treat it in, the same, in a different way. <clears throat> in many countries uh, in Europe, uh, the, the, the general approach is always a very dirigist one, state intervention, etc. In some others, like the UK most notably, it's uh, free market and free market only. We are using our central banks. I mean, the European Central Bank is buying, is monetizing debt on an enormous scale. And yet doesn't seem that it's achieving its desired result. And yet it's very difficult to hear people questioning what we are doing. I still haven't found many voices, many critical voices, or even many people saying, like, look, maybe we should really look at this problem from a different side, from a different angle. It's always the same arguing between uh, political parties, between uh, different sides of the political spectrum, whereas the vast majority of the population is just so disenchanted with politics that it's just not interested. And it's dangerous to have people who are not interested in politics because it opens the door to populism, it opens the door to monsters. Uh, and with monsters, I mean this kind of people that wants to take advantage of a situation by proposing dangerous ideas, ideas of intolerance, ideas of uh, uh, arching back to a perceived time of greatness. That's very scary in Europe, because Europe, uh, when European countries used to like the idea of uh, <coughs> getting great, usually it meant thousands of deaths. Like, again, I don't see that happening again so soon, because Europe is, again, is in demographic decline for good and bad, so it means it's very difficult to imagine thousands and thousands of soldiers mashing into each other on the, on the Rhine River. However... I can't see our societies getting more polarized and the polarization is a bit is the 
people say it's the fault of social media. And social media, for sure, Twitter, Facebook, favor this polarization. But it's also the symptom of a deeper fracture that is going on in our society, which is due to our lost ability to debate, to find compromise. And compromise is a nice word. People associate compromise with something dirty. Oh, we had to compromise, we didn't get what we wanted. But actually, compromise is the art of making a deal (coughs) that works for everyone. A realistic, pragmatic deal. So, be it coffee, or be it the management of our European Central Bank, or being the management of economy, or being the way that our social structure should look like, we are short on compromise, and we need to increase our ability to compromise. And how do you do it? You do it first by increasing the ability to debate. And to increase the ability to debate, you need to learn to listen, and you need to learn about reasoning. To learn about reasoning, it means to shed your prejudice. So, how do you do that? My advice is um, a bit pedestrian. Try something that you've never tried. With an open mind. Try to drink a coffee that you've never tried. It starts with small things. It's to train your ability to look at things from this different perspective and to understand that people are not like you, are not monsters, they're not stupid, they're not idiots. It starts by... uh, I think it starts with small things. Try different food, try different beverage. Try to talk to someone who is not in your comfort zone, who is not in your echo chamber. Because debate is the only way forward. I mean, if if we are to keep uh, our uh, democratic societies together, we need to learn to drink something different. Figuratively, obviously. Because uh, I see, especially in the younger generation, they tend to be more open on a lot of grounds, but they've been trained by us to never accept a compromise. Anything that is not our desired outcome is a defeat. It's about winning and losing. That's not the way human society evolves. Human society evolves when there is compromise, when there is a deal in the social hierarchies, or if you don't want to use hierarchies because you are a postmodernist, in the social components, in the people that are part of a community, there is a deal that maybe doesn't make anyone 100% happy, but somehow is the right uh, synthesis of uh, the needs uh, of different people. I mean, uh, COVID is a good example. I mean, in uh, in most countries, I see um, clash between uh, people who negate the existence of COVID, people that say we should go the Swedish way, we should open everything, uh, we don't want to carry masks, uh, uh, this is dictatorship, and people instead that would just <coughs> lock everything and be done with it. I mean, how do you uh, reconcile this impo- seemingly impossible to reconcile position by looking at the point of view of other people? Imagine, for example, you are a, 
business owner, small business owner. You don't want to lose your way to provide for your family. I mean, but you might say, yeah, but of course, like a gym is just uh, an unnecessary, an unnecessary <coughs> luxury. Well, it's an unnecessary luxury from, for people who go to the gym to train, but for people who work in the gym, that's uh, their livelihood. So if you would like to get to the right way of looking at things, you should sit behind the counter of the gym for a day and see what does it mean for you to have no clients, to have no income, and hence being unable to feed your family. Then you start to understand a lot better the position for how stupid might be the position of your counterparty. And that's my message for for uh, everyone tonight. Uh, it's something that I said already in my Italian podcast. In my Italian podcast, I was a little bit more harsh because I think the condition in which Italy is are much worse than than the rest of Europe, and it makes my heart cry because. I love my country. But the problem of my country is that it never had the idea of looking outside of it without the usual chauvinism in which we are Italy, we're better, we're the son of Leonardo, Michelangelo. No, we're just a country. <coughs> not the best one, not the worst, but not the best. And maybe we should look outside, even to copy things that other people are doing. And that, to me, applies to the entire continent. Europe should stop looking inside of itself, being a little bit less scared of what is outside and try to learn from whatever good things there are outside of it. I know that talking about Europe is difficult because, for example, where I see Finland being a much more outward society compared to Italy, even in Finland, 30% of the population is extremely conservative. At least that was the, what I remember. About one-third of the population was supporting uh, the True Finns party. <clears throat> Probably they've lost some of that support, but still. Uh, in Italy, conservatism is much more strong. But I do see, even in France and even in Germany, I mean, in Germany to a less degree, because it's more economically successful. This pandemic might change it all. So before it's too late, my only wish and my only advice is that we'll, we start to learn to challenge our ways. We start to learn to think that other people are not stupid, they're just different. We start to drink a different coffee. Because at the end of the day, by finding something new, sometimes you find something better which doesn't detract from who you are. It actually amplifies your uh, identity and gets you in a better place. So that's all for my Sunday rant for tonight, folks. I don't want to keep it too long. As usual, thanks for tuning, thanks for tuning in. And please feel free to uh, subscribe, to reach out for comments, for any kind of... Uh, communication. I do this podcast because I hope to be able to stack a conversation with anyone who is willing to do it. And uh, tomorrow, Monday, we'll, we go back to our extremely practical financial management Monday. Thanks to everybody for tuning, to everybody for tuning in. 
wish you a great week and as usual it's not over until it's over and when it's over it starts again it's a great time to be alive and uh, i wish you all a great and productive and challenging week